in introducing this series on a biblical home, we acknowledged right up front that parenting can be quite difficult. In truth, it's one of the most difficult undertakings a person ever attempts. Few people ever feel completely up to the task of parenting, and in the natural course of child raising, moments do and will arise when parents feel quite inadequate, ill-equipped, and uh, maybe even desperate, not knowing what to do in a given circumstance or having to face one's lack of control over the choices our teenager or adult child is making, or just that daily grind of dealing with a strong-willed son or daughter can wear us down and it can expose what none of us likes to see at all, the truth that we are weak, our stamina is limited, our wisdom is incomplete, and our power and influence isn't always that powerful or influential. So if you're at a place like that today or knowing that one day you will be, since Jesus told us in this world you will have trouble, whether this is about parenting or as a result of some other significant life challenge that's in front of you right now, I want to encourage you not to fear the desperation that you might be feeling. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches that our weakness can be an opportunity for God's all-sufficient grace. One of the choruses we sing reminds us his strength is perfect. When is his strength perfect? When our strength is gone. There is hope for the weary. There is hope for the tired. There is hope for the exasperated. Paul Tripp offers this little snippet of wisdom for parents. He says, in parenting, your weakness will not keep you from effectiveness if you believe the gospel. Your delusion of strength will. Because it will keep you from seeking the Lord keep you from seeking his help, which is why author and pastor Brad Bigney says unapologetically, desperate parents make the best parents. Desperate parents make the best parents. You might be in better shape today than you thought you were. Because as uncomfortable as desperation is, it often moves us in a good direction, doesn't it? And that is toward God. God is the beginning, God is the middle, God is the end of a biblical home. We certainly can't have one without him. And this morning we're going to be looking at three more parenting basics from his word, from the Bible. I'm going to be talking about prioritizing relationships, providing discipline, and persevering in prayer. Let's pray. Father, yours is the voice we come and gather to hear. Your wisdom is what we seek. Your truth is what we desire. So, Lord, be powerful in these moments ahead to teach us what you want us to learn and to help us change as we ought. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So when it comes to raising children, Deuteronomy 6 really is a bedrock scripture. Teach your kids, it says, what you have been taught or what has been taught to you. Most importantly, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The wisdom in this verse gives us the first order of business if you want to have a biblical home. The first order of business in godly parenting, which is prioritize your relationships. 
This is the foundation of the biblical home, where the biblical home begins with parents who prioritize their relationship with God, who guard that relationship, who have no other gods before him. Literal disorder comes into the home when our loves become disordered. Literal disorder comes into the home when our loves become disordered, when our relational priorities are skewed. This disorder can happen when spouses subtly turn from worshiping God to worshiping each other. Usually we get cured of that in the first or second year of marriage when we figure out what we've got and realize maybe I'm not going to worship this person after all, but there can be a subtle shift, nobody does it on purpose, where we begin to expect out of our spouse the things that we ought to be expecting out of God, or attributing to our spouse the things that we should be attributing to God. So that's an example of, of how we can get out of order. Another is this, when children become a parent's first love, above one's love for God, above one's love for husband or wife. In his book, Lost in the Middle, Paul Tripp tells this story. Joanna thought she had grown in her faith. The problem was that she had forgotten who she was, and it was not long before her identity in Christ was replaced by another identity. Joanna's children became her new identity. They gave her meaning and purpose, and they really did give her hope and joy. The problem was that they were not sent by God to do any of that. Joanna lived vicariously through them, and the more she did, the more she became obsessed with their success. Although Joanna was just as faithful in her personal devotion and public worship, God was no longer at the center of who she was. All it took was Jimmy to mess it all up. With all his inner turmoil, Jimmy didn't make a very good trophy. Being with him often meant unexpected confrontations and public embarrassment. The girls were forced to live in the wings of Jimmy's drama, and they didn't turn out to be trophy children either. Now that they were adults, Joanna was lost. She was paralyzed by what had happened to them, not just because she loved them so much, but more importantly, because of what their struggle took away from her. In their tumultuous launch into adulthood, the kids not only broke Joanna's heart, but they also robbed her of her identity. She felt like it had all been for naught. When she looked in the mirror, she felt like she didn't know the person she saw there. It is not difficult. In fact, it's quite common for us to idolize our children. And then they turn into our idols. And then we expect them to provide, as Joanna did, the hope or the joy, the purpose, the meaning of our lives. That's a lot of weight to put on a child, isn't it? Don't you think? That's a burden kids are never designed to bear. It's an expectation that they can never live up to, you know. Some are going to try. Some will actually try to be good enough. And others are going to rebel outright. And others will just refuse to try. And what follows then is disillusionment and anger and conflict and drama. Keeps the house all riled up. And that is not to say that there won't already be disappointment, anger, conflict, and drama in a home under the best of circumstances. There's bound to be. But minimizing these things is more possible when parents' lives are in order, 
when they know who they are in Christ, when their aim is to honor God with their lives, when their love for God is paramount and the wellspring from which the other loves flow. God must be first. Proverbs 14.26 says, In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. That is, a parent's faith and devotion to God above all else is a source of shelter, hope, and trust for that parent's children. Alan Fadling has written a book called The Unhurried Leader, and in it he asks this, What if parents found the roots of their life sunk deep into the infinitely vast love of their Heavenly Father, so much so that their parenting was simply the experience of that abundant divine love. Friend, being the best parent you can be starts with being the best worshiper you can be. So husbands and wives and moms and dads, put God first and do whatever you have to do to keep him there. Love your spouse, but don't elevate him or her to the place that God alone should occupy. Love your children, but do not worship them. Prioritize your relationships. Make sure God is in first place. Secondly, parents, provide the discipline every child needs. Provide the discipline every child needs. The New Testament book of Hebrews gives us a little glimpse into one way of understanding how God deals with his children. In, in chapter 12 and in verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When we think of discipline, we often go right to punishment. And then we think of punishment, we go to this argument over corporal punishment. I don't want to raise any of that stuff, at least not in this message here. Discipline comes from a word here that just means to train up. So to discipline is to, is to teach, to instruct, and to educate. It isn't just a punishment. It, it, it has the, uh, the implication, of course, of admonition and correction and reproof, which is part of teaching and, and raising a child. But that's not what it's all about. And what we don't want to miss here out of Hebrews is what discipline is about, where discipline comes from, or well, the fact that discipline is love. The, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. To discipline your child is to love your child. To discipline your child is to love your child. To fail to discipline your child is to not love, not demonstrate love to your child. Now you might think, well, gee, Pastor, that's like 101. I mean, we all know that, do we? Do we know that? I hope we do. But why do I have to make a point like this? I have to make a point like this. It seems so basic. Because we live in a culture that views expressive individualism so highly that it considers anything that might get in the way of it, let's say a parent's attempt to shape a child, to coerce a child, to form ideas in a child is scandalous. You understand that. When you believe in expressive individualism, nothing should get in the way of this little individual figuring out whatever he or she wants to figure out, including you, mom and dad. That's the society that we live in. That is the message you are being told. That is the false truth. It is not a truth. It is just plain false. It's being laid out there as if it were truth, but it's not. 
what the world calls scandalous, the Bible calls parenting. We are instructed. And we are not, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> we are told. We are commanded. We are instructed to teach, to train, to correct, to encourage, and to mold our children according to God's truth. And if we can, to make them like Jesus. That's, that's what we're told to do. That's our job. In a recent article on parenting, and I like that idea, right? That's your job. I mentioned it earlier on. I'm a big Patriots fan. You all know that by now. Try not to work them into every sermon. <laughs> but if I can quote the great theologian Bill Belichick, <laughs> who says often to his troops, do your job. That's a Belichickian thing. Do your job. Don't worry about his job. Don't worry about his job. Don't worry about her job. You do your job. What's your job? Parent, discipline your child. That's your job. Chap Bettis wrote this recently. He said, God has given parents real authority to exercise for our children's good. He commands our children to honor us and to obey our words. This is for their benefit, not ours. This part of the training, right? We think if we can get our kids to do what we tell them to do, phew, that makes my life easier. It's not even that simple. This is for their benefit, not just ours. As Ephesians 6.3 states, we do this training so that it may go well with them. And when we teach our children to place themselves under our authority, we're training the same spiritual muscle that will later more easily place itself under our Heavenly Father. While obedience cannot regenerate the heart, it can shape it. As J.C. Ryle observed, you must not wonder that men refuse to obey their Father which is in heaven if you allow them when children to disobey their Father who is upon earth. He says if we don't train them to obey, we train them to disobey. Think about that. If we're not training our children to obey, we're training them to disobey. Now, I understand this discipline that we are called to is no small task, and it takes a lot of determination to follow through on this particular parental duty. Some of you are really good at it. Some of you know you need to work at it. We all need to do it, though, because it's our job. Sometimes it's easier just not to discipline these kids, right? Because it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of effort, and it is so hard sometimes. And sometimes it's easier not to discipline our kids because we're just too busy living our own lives. We have things that we want to do and stuff that we want to accomplish and we don't really have time to shape these little ones because we're about us. I, I spent many years working with children whose parents were too busy to parent them. Sometimes it's easier not to discipline our children because I don't know if you, have, if you have experienced this, but sometimes that discipline is not always appreciated. <laughs> they don't just jump up and say, Thanks, Dad, for reining me in like that. Oh, Mom, I'm so glad you said no. No, they don't say stuff like that. They say, I hate you. Surprise, surprise, right? Proverbs 15, 12. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him. It's right there. It's right in the Bible. You correct somebody and you're going to pay a price for it, but what's your job? It's your job. 
Yeah, we don't want to discipline our kids because we, we fear them they may not love us. Who doesn't want to be loved? We all want to be loved. Why put your popularity at risk with your child by disciplining them? You could just be their friend, can't you? Well, you can be a friend and a disciplinarian. It's not an either-or proposition. You can be both. Mom and Dad, you need to be, your need to be loved by your child can't be more important than your duty to give love to the child. You hear that? Your need to be loved by your child can't be more important than your duty to love that child in discipline. Parenting is adulting. There's a reason we have to reach a certain age before we can even have these things. Parenting is adulting. Adulting is difficult. But consider the consequences of failing to discipline your children. Again, from Proverbs 29:15, the rod and reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself is not going to make the right decisions. We know this theologically. We have a bent to sin. A child left to himself is going to follow the bent to sin all day long, every day, all day. That's why the book of Proverbs is out there constantly saying, choose wisdom, choose wisdom. Why? Because your bent is against wisdom, so you've got to choose it. A child left to himself is not going to choose wisdom. This is all the argument you need against free-range kids. You can't just let them out there and let them do whatever they want. They're going to get in trouble. You know this, Mom and Dad. I don't even have to tell you this. When it gets quiet at the house, what do you do? Uh-oh. Why? Why? You let them alone. They're just expressing themselves with a magic marker all over your new sheetrock. We know. We know. You can't leave them alone. You've got to discipline them. You've got to do the work. And if you leave them alone when they're little and you ignore them when they're growing, what they turn out to be is going to bring shame. It's what the Bible teaches. Consider this from Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Many of us have latched onto that as a promise over the years. We have read it that way. We have hoped it to be that way. And I want to suggest to you this morning that's probably a misinterpretation. We usually interpret this as a promise. Lay the groundwork in youth, and even when our kids stray, if they should stray, eventually they'll come back. It does, certainly does happen. But Bruce Ray in Withhold Not Correction writes this. He says, in its proper context, Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise so much as it is a warning to Christian parents. In the Hebrew text of Proverbs 22.6, the phrase, in the way he should go, is entirely lacking. Rather, the Hebrew says, train up a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Which is to say, allow a child to have self-expression, allow him to pick and choose what he will and will not do, and as that habit is formed in his youth, he will not change when he is older. The verse is a stern warning. Now, when he, he says, allow a child to have self-expression, we have to be careful here, because he's not talking about things like, uh, he's not saying that we shouldn't allow kids to express themselves. Not at all. We're not talking about a kid drawing a picture. We're not talking about taking time to listen to a three-year-old's philosophy of life, which is awesome and an awesome thing to do, right? He's not, he's not talking about 
equipping a teen with educational opportunities or, or, or quashing the dreams of some youngster. Not at all. He's talking about, again, expressive individualism. He's talking about the sense that what a child wants is not to be interfered with in any way. He's talking about the idea of letting a child do exactly what he wants to do at any time, anywhere. But moms and dads must train their children. Discipline your child to do what is proper, to know what is proper and what is not proper, to know what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Kids have to know where the boundaries are. And ultimately, and I know many of you know this, it is those boundaries which give them a sense of security. It is the limits you set that prove that you love for them and give them a sense of safety, that they are, in fact, being loved. Oh, they may hate you <laughs> for saying no, but they love you for keeping them safe. Love your children enough to discipline them. Love them enough to discipline them. Thirdly and finally for today, a fundamental for parents and really for every believer everywhere, pray. Persevere in prayer. Part of parenting is praying, right? And we don't have to reserve the privilege of, of praying for our children for times of desperation. We don't have to wait for it to get really bad before we call God's attention to our child. Our kids should be the objects of our prayers from the moment they are born. And I might say, grandkids, and great-grandkids, <laughs> extend that out. Pray, pray, pray. Sally Michael has written a short book called Praying for the Next Generations right here. If this is something that you are interested in becoming better at, if this is some, an area of your life where you say, I, I, I pray, but I kind of say the same thing every day. I don't know if I'm praying effectively. This would be a good resource for you. It just so happens that we have 25 of them right down here, <laughs> down front. So if that interests you, and it's something you, you want to get better at, praying for the next generation, please do pick up a copy of that on your way out. And I'd be so blessed if there were no copies left here this morning, truly. We're not saving these. We bought these for you. So if you're interested in that, pick it up, take it out. Pray. How do we pray for our kids? Well, let me offer a few thoughts. We can pray this. We can pray that they'll be saved. From the very beginning, right, we pray, Oh, God, save my child. Let my child be among the elect. Oh, God, have mercy on my child. Let my child come into your family. We pray for their salvation, right? Because people, parents today are so worried about everything that's going on, and rightfully, somebody understand there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of problems out there, but what is the one thing that is going to secure our kids forever? Salvation. So it really doesn't matter in the long scheme what happens as long as they're saved. Whatever the challenge is in front of them, as long as they're saved, they will be okay. And that's what we want, isn't it, as parents? That's really what we want. That's what helps us sleep at night, to know that our kids are okay. So we pray that they can be saved. We can pray that they would be strong, strong in the faith. One of the things that we kind of do sometimes is we pray we pray burdens away from our kids. Now, we don't want our kids to suffer. It's always tough to watch our kids go through hard times. No matter how old they are, whether they're 4 or 40, it wouldn't matter. 
So we pray, Lord, relieve our kids from these things. But there was, a, there was a missionary visiting Africa, and he was sort of scolded about this by one of the African Christians there, who said something to the effect of this, you Americans are always praying for the burdens to be lifted. We pray that the backs of our children will be strengthened so they can bear the burdens they have. So it's a subtle difference, right? But we're not saying, Lord, we want our kids to have this easy, easy, cheesy life. We're just saying... Strengthen them for whatever is ahead, that they might honor you and glorify you in it, God. That's our priority. Are we or are we not strengthened more by adversity than prosperity? And yet we pray adversity away from our kids. Like, oh my goodness, it's one of the tools that the Lord uses to shape us. I mean, pray your heart, but keep it in mind, right? Keep it in mind that God is doing some great things. Pray your kids would be strong. Pray that they would stand firm in their faith. Amidst a myriad of temptations today. I really, I grew up in an age where three channels on the TV, and if you held that, whatever that thing was, right with the tinfoil on it, you might pick up channel 12. And it was a big day. You could watch Zoom and the electric company and things like that. But not always, right? That's, that's life. That's what's, coming into my, that's what's coming into my kid life. Color TV was earth-shattering. It was the most awesomest thing. That's color. Today, how many channels? Today, I have a, I have a smartphone. That phone can do amazing things. So I'm told. Do you know who knows how to run that phone? My four-year-old grandkid can run that phone. I can hardly make a phone call, and I'm not exaggerating. Now, okay, what does all this have to do with anything? I said amidst a myriad of temptations, do you understand what kind of world can come into your kid's life through that little device? And in truth, my answer would be no, I don't understand. I, I, I don't. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to not get there. I don't know how to stop this. Think about what the kids are up against and pray for them. And also be wise in what you put in their hands. Be wise in what you allow them to have. And if they come at you with that whole, hey, listen, all my friends have a phone. You know what I'm saying? Well, if they come live with us, I'll take it away. <laughs> be smart about this thing. This isn't about being hip or being cool or being a parent that, that your kid really adores. It's about being smart and keeping your kid from some of these troubles. But you also can pray about these things. There are things you can do, but there are things you can pray about. Lord, help my child not to fall into this temptation of sin because sin leads to death. And it does, and I believe that. It's what the Bible says, and I don't want my child to die. I want my child to live. And I want my child to have abundant life. We can pray that our children would make the Bible the authority in their lives. Boy, there's a lot of competition out there for who's in charge and, and what standard is the right one. And we can teach them about the Bible, but we can pray too, Lord, let them see your truth. Let them see your wisdom. Let them see the goodness that is in this word. Let them see you. 
We can pray that our kids would be humble and teachable. We could pray that they would tell the truth, even though to do so would be costly. To stand up for what is right, even though to do so would be costly. We can pray that they would be found out quickly when they sin. You ought to be praying that, Mom and Dad. Right? My wife liked to quote that one. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's biblical. It's biblical. It absolutely will. And mommy, you better believe mom and dad are saying, quickly, Lord, quickly, Lord. I don't want them to get too far down that path of devastation. I want them to be found out, and I want us to deal with it in a gospel way. We can pray about the specific sins and the weaknesses that we see in our kids. It's easier to complain about these things, but that really doesn't do anything. We should pray about them. When our kids exhibit pride or when they are overly stubborn or when they demonstrate an unteachable spirit, we bring that to the Lord in prayer. We can, we can pray for our kids. We find that they're lying or exaggerating the truth or trying to make themselves look better than they are and help them understand you don't have to look better than you are. We can pray for them when they chase after the world's goods. We can pray for them if it turns out that they're kind of lazy. Although, you have to be careful with that one because my kids, at least, I guess I should have asked permission, but... Um, I was just weighing that. Should I ask? And I'm thinking, no. Um, they weren't always so eager to do things around the house. I don't know if anybody else's kids are like that. But the funny thing is, they would work like rented mules for somebody else. Man, that was so good. Josh, come over there and stack up all that wood. What? He knows how to stack wood? He doesn't stack my wood, huh? So, again, kids are lazy. Maybe not. It's a lot more fun to go help somebody than actually... I'm that way, so... Apples don't fall far from the tree, do they? No, they don't. We can pray for our kids when they choose what is easy at the expense of what is right. We can help them to appreciate sacrifice. We can make them, help them to be people of integrity. Absolutely, we must pray for our kids if they become prodigals. And some of them will. Some of them will. And that's a difficult season of parenting. And if you should encounter anything like that, a heartbreaking time of youthful rebellion, disobedience, let me offer this to you. Please don't try to go through that by yourself. You should not walk through that in silence. You should not try to navigate that alone. Because sometimes we Christians can be overly concerned, I think, with protecting our reputations. We are fearful at times of airing our dirty laundry. We don't want people to think badly of us. We don't want people to think badly of our kids. We have an image. We have an image that we want to uphold. At least we think we do. You know, the one that we post on Facebook where everybody's sitting around a campfire eating s'mores and smiling. That's my happy campfire family. If that happens, take a picture. You should. Because it ain't going to last very long. Because that's heaven. And it is. And you get a glimpse of heaven once in a while. But this is earth. And earth is tough. And earth is hard. When our children walk away from the faith, when our children 
say they don't believe what, what we believe. Remember that God has brought you into community with others. And he has made you part of a larger family. So that in that larger family, you can live out God's will for you. And they can live out God's will by bearing your burdens. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. How are we going to bear a burden if we don't know about it? How can we be helpful if you haven't told us? So I want to encourage you, parents, forget the optics. Forget what anyone might say or think. Be transparent about what you are going through with your prodigal. You're not the first parent to have a prodigal. You won't be the last. And I want to tell you, let a circle of friends into what's going on in your life. And invite them to pray. Invite them to plead with God for you and for your child as you walk through this severe trial. Brad Bigney again is right when he says, Nothing lays us quite as low or strikes as close to my heart as parenting trials. They seem to hurt the most and drag on the longest and bring the most confusion and heartache. But God knows. He has been a parent long before you and I ever started this journey. God knows. God knows. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord declares there, that he has reared many sons and they have rebelled against him. And I read that and I think the perfect parent, God, is father to rebels. It happens. And God understands. So we must persevere in prayer for our children. And when we do that, we find comfort in his presence. And when I say children, let me... Um, I don't just mean the kids that are living under your roof. Because something seems true for me anyway is they're always my kids. Right? So we're talking about adult children here that are prodigal. We're talking about grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We must persevere in prayer for our children, finding our comfort in God's presence, seeking his will and his word, and knowing that nothing is impossible with him. So here's the thing. Don't quit on your kids. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, we must never cease to pray for our children until they cease to breathe. Don't quit on your kids. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives, Spurgeon says. No case is hopeless while Jesus lives. So prioritize your relationships. Provide the discipline that every child needs. And pray, pray, pray. Well, let's do that, actually. Bow your heads, if you would. Let's take a second to put into practice what I've just preached. I want you to think about your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. You don't have children here. Then I want you to think about somebody else's kids that you love and care about. And I want you to think about maybe that child or those children who in particular are struggling with something right now. Maybe, maybe it's a relational problem or marriage or addiction. Maybe it's the signs of rebellion. Maybe it's a health issue. 
I want you to think about that kid or those kids and I want to offer you an opportunity now that we just pray together. So what we're going to do is, if you, if you want to, just say the name of the child out loud. And then when enough of you have done that, we'll, we'll finish in prayer. But let's pray for those kids. Let's believe that nothing is impossible with God. Let's bring them to the Lord. So you've got to, Jacob. Mm. Oh, Lord, we lift these dear ones up to you. We bring their names to your throne. We implore you for mercy in their lives. For those who are not saved, we seek their salvation. Lord, be gracious. For those who are saved but wandering away, pull them back with your irresistible love. For those who know you, let them grow in faith and strength of character, becoming more and more like Jesus. For those who struggle with addictions, Father, we ask that you would break the bonds. For those who struggle with health, Lord, we pray for healing and stronger backs to bear the pain. We are so grateful, God, that you know the needs of each and every one of these names uttered today. You know exactly what's going on in their lives, and you love them better than we ever could. So on their behalf, we come to you, God. Be merciful. Be gracious. Bring them to you. Bring them to us. 
be magnified and glorified in their lives. Let there be no doubt whatsoever that you are present and powerful and at work. Redeem it all for your glory. Be glorified. You deserve all the glory. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.